The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision-making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts. Welcome to Real Estate Milestones, where we explore fascinating topics in commercial real estate with knowledgeable industry experts. I'm your host, Ben Malik, and I'm a young real estate professional who is passionate about adding value to people's lives through the incredible power of real estate. My goal is to help you discover what the heck is going on in the industry and how you can get involved. This is Real Estate Milestones, where your future in real estate lies just around the corner. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Real Estate Milestones. Today, we have Brad Carche, who does a ton of things all across real estate. So we're in for a jam-packed episode with a ton of a ton of awesome content. Brad's a real estate developer, writer, prop tech investor, and advisor, and marketing consultant in the real estate technology space. So Brad, could you tell us a little bit of, more about yourself and uh, all those amazing things you got going on? Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, Ben. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I own my own development company here in, uh, in, in Ottawa, Canada. I write about all things real estate for a number of different uh, outlets, including my own newsletter called Briefcase. Um, and yeah, I really just enjoy this space and, and, and sort of the intersection of, uh, of technology and new business models and, and uh, to, towards real estate and sort of, you know, disrupting this, this legacy industry that's been around forever and has created all this wealth. But we're sort of at this inflection point now with, with all the technology coming out and, you know, different lifestyles and different uh, demographics. And I mean, the pandemic uh, itself just sort of flipped everything on its head. So yeah, no, just really, really happy to be a part of the industry and have my, my fingers in a number of different uh, uh, opportunities. Awesome. Yeah. I forgot to mention Brad's our first, our first guest coming from Canada. So uh, that's pretty awesome. Definitely offer some new cool perspectives and um, briefcase is, is the uh, newsletter we've heard about and it's pretty awesome. I've definitely heard about some pretty cool trends, which I'm excited to jump into today. So before we get started with these uh, awesome trends, can we, uh, what's your first milestone in real estate? Uh, yeah, I think my first milestone was the first rental property I bought with a business partner of mine. It was a, a terrace home kind of condo type thing, uh, bought about 15 years ago. Um, ended up being a, a terrible investment, but you know what? We learned we learned so much from that initial investment that I wouldn't change it for the world. It's sort of like the education, the tuition that we paid, um, and we we ended up making money uh, on it long term, but not until the last couple of years. Because uh, as you know, the real estate market's been on fire for two years, so it was, it, we made money on it, but not out of anything you know we did specifically. It was just sort of dumb luck uh, because the market was so hot, and we we got rid of that property last year. But that was that was really an eye opener for me. Yeah, awesome, and that's um my trepidation now is if I want to learn trial by fire the market might not save me anymore. So I'm definitely trying to make sure I do it the right way when I get started with my, my first deal. And I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to make sure to protect capital. And that's the, that's the, the main prerogative. Um, yeah. Well, in addition I, to all of the learning. Yeah. Ironically enough, uh, Ben, I think the next five years are actually going to be good for real estate investors. It's going to be better than the last couple of years where you're overpaying and overbidding and, you know, basically free money that uh, enables some, rash decisions. So um, I'm happy to get into that, but I think, I think it's going to be better for, for folks like us who are trying to scoop up uh, rental properties. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that too. And I think uh, as interest rates rise, there 
might be a little bit of a cap rate compression or the, the values of properties might start coming down a little bit. And um, yeah, maybe I'll have to pay a higher interest rate, but with it, it's, it's, I always want a lower purchase price because when the, when the interest rates go back down later, you can refinance, but you can't redo your purchase price. So um, <laughs> definitely, definitely cool. And uh, could you tell, yeah, I guess let's get into that. So what are you thinking in terms of, um, you know, I guess the five-year picture in terms of where you think the market's going? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. It's tough to make definitive calls, but I mean, we can sit here and we can uh, we can read the tea leaves. I mean, demand. Uh, so going going back to the, the the credit crisis of 2008, and people very often mistake that with uh, with the they call it the housing crisis. And let's be clear, it was it was because of very poor lending standards and 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 real estate. The the crash in real estate was just a, a symptom of of that underlying credit. Uh, uh, credit issue, but we we had an artificial demand back then. Um, that's that's not something we have now. Uh, you know, unlike the early two thousands, um, you know, uh, demand was propped up by these terrible banking practices. Demand for housing now is 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 through the roof, and in fact, supply can't even keep up with that. So you know, we're you know, there's about five million. There's a shortage of five million homes in the U.S. Uh, Canada has a similar uh, shortage that's proportional to our smaller population. Um, but you know, the, just the laws of supply and demand show, you know, tell us that, you know, we aren't going to see that, you know, a massive crash that, you know, some people are, are actually calling for. Um, and even if you look at the credit, um, you know, the credit scores of borrowers today versus back then, uh, they're, they're actually quite higher. Um, so, you know, the, the, uh, the credit and, you know, the fina financial stability of, borrowers these days is a lot better than uh, than than back in during the, the Great Recession. So I think there's there's with interest rates rising, um, supply has been uh, there's been a lot of downward pressure on supply, not only because of, you know, bureaucracy and we can get into zoning later, Ben, but, uh, um, you know, the pandemic was here and supply chains are strained and the labor market strained. So that's, you know, the lagging effect of that is that over the next, you know, two to five years, we're going to see, you know, supply struggle to keep up with, you know, ongoing, uh, ongoing demand. Yeah, that's a, that's a good perspective and covers a lot for sure. Um, kind of building on that, how is, you know, we talked a little bit about lending. How is the lending environment in Canada different than America? Because I know that's a perspective that maybe only you could offer so far, all of our guests. And um, I know that when, I, when people in America think of uh, a mortgage or a loan, it's the 30-year fixed rate mortgage. I know that's a privilege that not everyone in America, or sorry, not everyone in the rest of the world besides the U.S. has. I know it has a lot to do with the Fannie and Freddie, but can you kind of say what's, um, or tell us what is different about how Canada does it and and uh, what the implications of that are? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a broker or anything like that, but the big one is sort of the, the mortgage products that are offered uh, to, to uh, you know, American clients from American banks or, seem to be a lot more favorable uh, just in terms of the, the actual terms of the loan. Like up in Canada, you can lock in a rate for 10 years, but it's, you know, it gets to be quite high. You know, the typical interest rate is locked in for five years up here versus you guys, you know, you get the 30 years of, of uh, interest rate lock in, um, in in some of the products. So definitely a lot more favorable. So we're we're more vulnerable to the, um, to the volatility and the interest rates up, up here versus uh, down in the U.S., but we also have some government-backed uh, insurers as well, similar to to you folks. We have what, what's called CMHC, which is 
they insure uh, certain types of mortgages here. So banks are more likely to lend out more money. Um, and some of the terms of, of those are, are quite, uh, are quite uh, reasonable and, and, um, and good for, for developers like myself who want to build uh, you know, quality products, they will ensure at, you know, record low rates, and they will extend amortizations out to, you know, 40, sometimes even 50 years. Um, so we do have other benefits uh, that, uh, that aren't necessarily um, the reality in the US. But yeah, the big one is that 30 year, uh, 30 year rate lock. And I wish I wish I could get my hands on some of that, especially the last two, two to three, well, so the last decade with uh, pretty much negative interest rates. So um, that's no longer going to be the case. So we're in definitely a different environment now. Yeah, definitely. And I know, so there's this a theme that you touch on sometimes in your newsletter um, of the missing middle. I know that that's a, a big focus of your development arm of your business. And I kind of wanted to hear uh, what does that mean to you and how are you positioning yourself in the environment to, um, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's illuminated us on that. Yes. So, um, I'll start with the first part of the question for those who aren't familiar with the term missing middle. Um, it, it, you know, it describes post world war two, but the pre world war two types of housing, um, that was, uh, you know, prominent in North America that includes, you know, things like duplexes and triplexes, row homes, uh, you know, courtyard apartments, uh, small, low rise multifamily that was quite prominent pre world war two. Um, it's something that's been prominent in Europe for, for centuries. They've, they've been doing it right for a long time, uh, but for a number of different reasons that uh, would, uh, I, I can talk about, but uh, post-World War II with the expansion of the suburbs and the rise of the automobile um, and you know these big interstate highways that encouraged that urban sprawl uh, dramatically. Uh, Canada's no exception to that either. We did the same thing. Um, and the knock-on effect of that is that the, these missing middle units um, not disappeared, but that, you know, we were no longer building them. Uh, and they are critical to our current uh, housing uh, crisis and, and helping solve it because they provide that light densification um, that, that we need to increase uh, housing supply. Um, so you know, it's, uh, it's something that I've had on my radar for, for about a decade now that we've been, we've been investing in and building in. And I think over the next uh, the next the next decade, it's going to be just as as popular to to build out, renovate, and create these types of uh, uh, multifamily commercial units. Awesome. And so, how are how's your business? You know, what are, I guess to get more into the details, what are you doing um, in this space? And can you tell us a little bit about your business? Yeah. So our development company, we build missing middle multifamily and in, in secondary and tertiary markets around the Ottawa area. Uh, we'll soon be expanding to other other places in on, Ontario, um, but we we chose missing middle deliberately for those reasons that I just mentioned. That I'm I'm very bullish on um, on uh, the the trajectory of that asset class over the next decade. Um, the a second reason we chose it was for exit strategy. You know, if we're going to develop a you know a 30 unit apartment building, our ability to exit that is limited to a small number of buyers versus you know if we build you know you know, uh, 10 sixplexes, you know, we could, you know, we could kind of minimize them, we could sell them off, you know, one at a time, if we built, you know, we have a, a fourplex, that's, you know, actually four row homes, you know, we could sell individual ones to homeowners or investors, so our exit strategy is a lot more favorable. Um, uh, the other reason uh, that we chose, uh, or were forced to chose that model, it just sort of, 
it further um, bolstered our, our thesis on, on that asset class was the market. So we, um, we really started heavily investing um, in multifamily development about five or six years ago. And that's, that's right at the beginning when the market started to get, uh, you know, on, put on rocket fuel, essentially, uh, across North America, but particularly uh, in, in Canada. Um, and just for the for for your info and your listeners' info, the the average housing price in Canada is about eight hundred thousand. Um, in the U.S., you're about half of that, yeah. uh, even, even less than that. I think it's three sixty. The last one I saw from Redfin. So uh, housing is quite expensive here, and it got mm-hmm. it got a lot more expensive. But so all that to say, buying resale investment properties uh, about five or six years ago it was very difficult to pencil. And, you know, we were talking uh, before we started recording, but, um, you know, buying the price you buy at is just so critical. And it's a so it's such an underappreciated factor in your uh, in your investment strategy that a lot of investors don't understand. But you make your money when you buy and we didn't want to overpay for assets. So we decided to build from the ground up. You know, we are going to create our own value. So, you know, we have uh, we have builders, uh, you know, we have a vertically integrated development company where we do everything soup to nuts. We acquire, we do rezoning, we do construction, uh, we do the, the, you know, the refinancing and then we manage it long term. So we do everything. And in that sense, it's a bit more complicated for us. However, we, we are able to capitalize on a lot of efficiencies, especially, you know, if we're able to build that cost and that, you know, we get that nice little refinance in, uh, at the back end and missing middle was just the perfect model for that type of strategy. So that's, that's a, a long answer to a simple question, but hope that helps. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, when I hear that the average home price is 800,000 or so, I did not know the first thing that I think of is that the price of wood is probably not too much more in Canada, if even different than America. So if you're building these, these homes, you got a lot more, I guess, room for profit. If it, cost the same to build, but you can sell it for more. Um, is that kind of make sense? Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah. I mean, it's similar. Uh, the cost of materials are definitely more expensive here. Um, and we ship most of our lumber to you guys. So, um, it's actually, you would think that the price would be cheaper here, but it's, it's not the case. It's like, we, we've got a lot of oil here, but you know, uh, our, our gas prices are, are through the roof. So, um, labor also tends to be, uh, quite a bit more expensive than, than in the U S and, and furthermore, our development costs and soft costs, there's so much more bureaucracy here in, in Canada than there, are, there is in the US. I mean, I was in um, I was in Houston the other day and it was like, you know, no zoning. Uh, you know, when you walk around that city, it's like the city doesn't have zoning, whereas we have an overabundance of, of restrictive zoning uh, bylaws and regulations here in Canada. So the cost of construction is is astronomical here. And that's that's what's contributing as it is in the US, but here in Canada as well to the to the affordability crisis, because it, it's, it's so expensive to build that a lot of people are just not not building. And, um, you know, you add on to that the supply strain and all that kind of stuff. It's just it's so difficult to build. But just for your uh, just for your uh, interest, like per door, we're paying a city about 20 to twenty five thousand dollars just in fees. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't even get into, you know, all the soft costs associated with uh, the planning and the, and the surveys and the architects and the grading and soil testing and all that kind of stuff. You know, you're, you're, when you're paying $50,000 per unit before you even put a shovel in the ground, 
you know, it's, it's, it, it becomes very difficult to, to make that, that happen. But even with the prices of homes at, at record highs here in Canada, the, the development from the ground up model still made sense. Awesome. Well, that's, that's really illuminating. That's, um, that's interesting. And it sounds like kind of a feedback loop where like you, everyone, the, the wages are high, or I guess the, it costs more to build the home. So we got to sell them for more and then people have to be able to afford them. So you have to pay them more. So they even afford these more expensive homes. I don't really know how you break a cycle like that. And uh, I don't, I guess maybe the way that America does it is by having the American dream attracting more and more demand and people moving in. So, uh, you know, yeah. it's kind of, and, and there's less red tape and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of states and municipalities wising up to the actual source of the problem, which is supply of homes. There's, there's a lot of band-aid solutions that people have tried with, you know, stress testing mortgages and limiting lending and foreign taxes and all this stuff. I mean, I'm not going to get into the merits of those, but really at the end of the day, you, you have to create more supply and, and that's going to keep prices low. It's going to keep affordability up. You know, it's going to, it's going to help, you know, put roofs over people's heads and, you know, California just passed SB nine and, you know, on any R1 lot now for most R1 lots, you're by right allowed up to four, uh, depending on the circumstance. And there's all the, all the governments in Canada, uh, provincially are looking at exactly that, trying to, uh, encourage supply by upzoning and you know covering municipality development fees and all that kind of stuff. So that's why I think uh, before we we're recording, I'm I'm very uh, bullish on the next five years for for investors. Um, you know, it's 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 a good time to be developing. It's a good time to be investing. And yes, interest rates are going up, but um, you know the everything else is working in the favor of trying to create more homes, which is which is always a good thing. Yeah, and you hit on an interesting point because I know California has a definitely a problem with affordability and I guess definitely supply. And it sounds like, I mean, I guess they even are losing a little some losing some of their population to some of the, the southern states that do, I guess with the I guess the work from home and the hybrid work um, shift. But um, I know that it sounds like if they're actually allowing R one to now be multifamily or of like a four, a four unit, that that definitely could help the supply a lot. Where Back in the day when they tried to do rent control, they actually ended up stifling the supply because everything else got more expensive outside of the little place that is the only part that was rent controlled. And whatever. so that's that's interesting that they um it may it seems like it's making making more sense. Yeah, and I mean that's it's a long tail, right? It's going to take years for that to catch up, you know, for the development to catch up with with demand. But as you as you enable that supply, you are you are putting downward pressure on prices just by just by virtue of you know creating more products in the market um so it's in my mind it's it's a good thing and it's going to take years to for the supply to catch up with demand but at least we're making these incremental changes now um as opposed to just burying our heads in the sand awesome yeah um sounds like it's going to be a fun time for, for real estate investors for sure so uh another theme that you've mentioned on your in your um in briefcase in your uh newsletter is the the tiny homes and i kind of wanted you to tell us a little bit about that yeah and i uh, i love writing about tiny homes i think they're fantastic i think they're a massive opportunity um i think um yeah so i mean like going back to sort of the digitization of uh of everything and um you know disrupting the industry you know the the reality is is that we need less space now we don't need 
you know, five bookshelves, we've got Audible, we, you know, and, and Kindle, we don't need a CD tower, we don't need, you know, 100 DVDs. So um, the, the reality is, is that, you know, human beings outside of the pandemic, where people wanted a little bit more space and a little bit more green space, there was actually a trend towards smaller housing units. Uh, but we've just seen this massive boom in, in tiny home development. Um, it's, it's, you know, it, it's expected to increase in, you know, the industry as a, as a whole is expected to increase by 3.5 billion by uh, 2026. Um, and it's going to help with affordability because these tiny homes cost a fraction of the cost of a, of a regular home and, and uh, they can help with uh, homelessness. You know, it's, there's been a myriad of studies done around um, uh, around homelessness and mental health. And, you know, if you put a, it's amazing what will happen if you put a roof over someone's head, even if it's a tiny home or, you know, a converted motel or something like that. So you're seeing a lot of municipalities, you know, uh, uh, especially in California, speaking of California, you know, converting tent cities that, you know, aren't, aren't great to look at, aren't great to live at, um, aren't great for the neighborhood into, you know, um, one in San Francisco is now a 70, 70 unit tiny home community where there's services and it's a little bit more aesthetically pleasing and it to, to, to not only look at it, but to live in it as well. Um, and again, I speak a lot about light densification. Tiny homes are perfect. Like you can put one in your backyard to supplement your income or, you know, your people are overpaying for houses right now and at record high interest rates. So they might need a tiny home in their backyard to Airbnb or to, you know, house one of their children while they're going to college, or there's just so many uh, great opportunities to use these tiny homes. Um, and uh, the data really shows that people are much more willing to, to consider tiny homes. Now, um, one of the studies that we referenced in our, our latest newsletter was uh, it was something like 23% of all Americans um, said that they would definitely consider or they would live in a tiny home. So that's, you know, that's a quarter of the population. And if you look at age groups, you know, your age group, Ben, you know, 18 to 34, I'm guessing, uh, I'm not going to guess your age, but, uh, you know, that number jumps to 34. So 34, 34% uh, of people age 18 to 34 uh, said they would live in a tiny home or would definitely consider it. So there's a lot of like, again, with missing middle multifamily, there's a lot of economic changes and, you know, environmental changes. I haven't even talked about the environmental benefits of, of tiny homes. They, you know, they use so much less energy. They're much cheaper to build, um, all that kind of stuff. So for, for all those reasons, and I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of others, uh, I'm, I'm really bullish on, on, on tiny homes and the market speaks for itself. It's growing astronomically. We're seeing tiny home developers and builders pop up all over the place. And we're, we're seeing municipalities say, Hey, you're going to be allowed to build tiny homes. You don't have to come to us to ask permission anymore, pay all these fees or go through all these, you know, site planning and paperwork and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, again, another, another real estate trend that I think is on the up and up. And I think it's a great thing. Awesome. How, so how big is a tiny home? Uh, if you look at definitions for like building code and things like that, it's, it's, it's 400 square feet roughly. Um, but you have, you have tiny home builders that are doing a hundred square feet um, I've seen some really, really nice tiny homes that are 800 square feet and they're, you know, three bedrooms and they have like a rooftop patio. So it's just, it's so flexible um, uh, in, in how, how you design. You're, you're limited, the same thing with a house. You're limited only by your imagination. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I, I got to look up a picture because I, I, 
I feel like I, I got to see, you know, the different possibilities and how that works. But that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, definitely got to check it out. And um, I know we touched on this a little bit also uh, at the beginning of the episode, but another circle back, um, you know, some people think that we are in a housing bubble, kind of like 2008. And I think a lot of people don't agree with that. But um, I kind of wanted to hear, there's definitely some sort of economic winds blowing. So I kind of wanted to hear what you thought about, uh, you know, whether it is a housing bubble or whether there will be precipitous, you know, decrease in, in property values or, um, you know, or, or what? Yeah, again, it's, I, I, I don't want to make definitive uh, uh, predictions, but um, we could very well be in a bubble, uh, but a different bubble. We're definitely not in a housing, housing bubble. If you look at, um, you know, household mortgage debt service as a percentage of the disposable income, um, it's actually much lower um, than it was during the, uh, the, the, uh, the Great Recession. And it's the lowest point it's been in, in a very long time, actually, in decades. Um, I think I think where people get the bubble talk is from the rapid rise in prices um, and now the fear of um, and reality of, of higher borrowing costs. So people, the, the, the thought is that people overpaid for a home and now their mortgages are going to go up. So it's sort of like a double whammy. Uh, but again, if you look at, uh, you know, the, the pocketbook of, of, of the average homeowner, it's, it's better than it ever was. Um, so I, I don't think we're, we're necessarily in a housing bubble territory, particularly because we have so many people who want homes and we just don't have enough homes to provide them. So it's like, there's just, there's not that, uh, like I mentioned before, that artificial demand there that's required to be able to call something, um, a bubble. Now there's, there's other sectors that are scary at the moment. Um, you know, uh, credit card debt, um, inflation is very scary. Um, you know, uh, a college debt. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sectors that we can talk about bubbles, but um, you know, definitely not in housing. And again, people use terms um, interchangeably. So, like they'll say housing crash or housing bubble. I think, I think we're definitely not in uh, in a time period where we're going to see you know 20% year over year increases for the next five years. Absolutely not. In fact, we might even see a, a, a decline, but um, we're, we're definitely in a situation where we'll probably see a soft landing in, in, in the housing market over the next couple of years. And as you know, Ben, uh, you know, every real estate is a hyper-local business. So some markets, you know, it, as we enter into a recession and, an, you know, an anchor employer closes in that, in that town, yeah, you might see a 20 or 30% drop in real estate prices. Uh, but nationally uh, and, and across North America, uh, I think we're in for a soft landing on the housing uh, on the housing front, and I actually think that's a good thing. It's it's a more balanced market, you know, as as supply starts to catch up with demand and demand starts to decrease as interest rates go up and borrowing costs go up. So I think I think it's a good thing. I actually heard, uh, yeah, it definitely definitely that's a lot of good things to think about. Actually, this really interesting perspective that I hadn't heard before um, a couple of days ago that um one this one economist predicts that with increases in mortgages that um, people who have already locked in lower rates, like people who have already purchased homes are not gonna wanna sell. There's gonna be a lot less people willing to sell because they don't wanna go find a new house where they have to pay a higher mortgage where they're already locked into their 3% and they don't wanna go pay 5%. So that there actually might be an increase in housing prices because 
there will not be enough supply to meet the demand because people are not going to want to leave their houses where they have the nice, nice mortgage already. So that was like, wow, like that is, seems like totally counterintuitive. But then think about it. It's a, it's a logical argument. So it's like, oh, it was pretty interesting. Yep. No, you, whoever said that is absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's uh, crazy times. Well, on that, are you ready for the lightning round? Yes. All right. So if you could choose any superpower, what would you choose? Invisibility. Ooh, that's the first on this on the on the um show. What's your your rationale? I have no idea. That's just the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That works. So what's your favorite book or what's the one that's helped you the most? Um I'm sure people mention this all the time, but Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that definitely changed the perspective. Um, I, I don't necessarily agree with everything that uh, Robert Kiyosaki says, but I think uh, he did a great service to generations of people who um, have, have lacked in financial education uh, at our, in our school system by, by writing that book. So I, I definitely, that's my number one. Awesome. And um, what, what motivates you to continue every day? My family, I have four young daughters, uh, all under the age of 11. So um, they, they love coming to properties with me and seeing the different businesses and um, helping out. So that, that really keeps me going. Awesome. And what, would, what advice would you give to someone who wants to follow in your footsteps? Uh, be okay to fail. Um, I think a lot of, I talk to a lot of young investors now and they're, they're sort of stuck in analysis paralysis and the market doesn't help with that. Um, but they're afraid to take action. Um, it sounds very simple, but, uh, you know, I remember my first rental property purchase. It was the scariest thing I've ever done. And given the scale of things that are happening now, there was no reason for me to be, um, I'm scared at that time, but I think, you know, taking action, uh, number one, and just networking, you know, nothing, nothing amazing happens in isolation. You got to surround yourself with like-minded people and partners and, um, you know, groups and mentors and coaches and all that kind of stuff. So just get yourself out there and take action. Even if it's just going up to an experienced investor and saying, Hey, can I work for you for free for three months? You know, let me do X, Y, and Z for you provide value, just get out there, learn, um, and don't be afraid to, to get, you know, the proverbial punch in the face every now and then by failing everyone fails. Yeah. And I guess, uh, I heard this, this formula pain plus reflection equals growth. And it's hard to, and yes, yeah, so I guess failure is definitely, it could be a, a source of pain, but uh, definitely can be an investment in, in creating a, a better you for, for our future problems that you face. So that's awesome. Um, so since I put you on the spot, I want to give you a chance for re revenge. Uh, feel free to ask me any question you want to know about me. <laughs> um, Just trying to think here. What's okay. So what, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued now by the superpower question. What, if you could have any superpower, what would yours be? It would definitely be super speed. I'm a uh, pretty into pr productivity. It'd be cool. Sometimes cut out my, my travel time and uh, I won't be late for meetings ever. And, um, be able to, to, uh, be, I mean, not be two places at once, but, um, well, that'd be cool being two places at once. If that could be superpower, but yeah. Um, also just, you know, it'd be cool to be, the uh, the best hockey player <laughs> oh you're, you're speaking to a canadian so that's my language yeah awesome i've uh i've been playing hockey since i was maybe eight but when i moved out to new orleans they didn't have any ice rinks because they sold it it's not like a food warehouse so um yeah i only get to go on on the ice when i'm back in back in maryland nice that's awesome awesome well 
thanks super uh thank you so much for coming on the show today i think everyone's learned a lot and there's a lot uh, i definitely going to be on google for the next hour following up on some of these awesome trends that we've chatted about but um if if or is there anywhere that the audience can find out more about you maybe subscribe to the newsletter yeah, absolutely. So go to briefcase.email. It's a free weekly newsletter. You can sign up. Uh, I write each issue. Um, it comes from my email. So I, you know, you can just sign up to the newsletter and respond to any email and I'll see it and happy to have a chat with, uh, with anyone anytime about anything to do with real estate. I love, I live and breathe this stuff and I love it and I love contributing and educating and all that kind of stuff. Same, same thing to what you're doing, Ben here. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. I encourage any, everyone to check it out. Definitely a lot of cool stuff to, to learn about. Um, well, thanks again for coming on the show, Brad, and everyone keep making milestones. Awesome.